The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope you're wearing maroon today. It's the day that we identify ourselves with the greatest university in the history of the state of Mississippi, the greatest athletic programs this state has ever seen. We're great. Now's the day to show a little pride. I'm a bulldog. Proud to be a Bulldog. Hope you are as well. Let everybody know that you're a Bulldog. Since we were together last, Mississippi State has won an intercollegiate basketball game on the men's side. Off to a 1-0 start. A couple of easy moments in that ball game. Got a little bit uh, ragged there late in the first half, I guess. Mississippi State... 37-26 leaders at the break come out and actually improve upon their offensive production in the second half, win 38-23 in the second half. Final score of 75-49 over North Alabama. We should win those games comfortably. We did without two starters. I suspect Rocket Watts and Tolu Smith will be back sooner rather than later. Coach Ben Howen says in postgame he – hopes that Rocky Watts is available on Wednesday. Tolu Smith a little bit later in the month. But they'll have some time to figure some things out against some uh, some quality non-conference foes before we begin Southeastern Conference play. That'll be here before we know it. 6,671 fans paid to see a pretty good crowd for an opening midweek game. So tip of the cap to all of you that came out and attended. I'll give you a quick analysis here. Run down some numbers. Garrison Brooks in his Bulldog debut. Very, very efficient night. 28 minutes of action. 8 of 15 from the floor. 2 of 4 from the line. That's probably the one blemish on the Bulldog resume. His free throw shooting was a bit of an adventure. Pulls down 5 rebounds. Commits just 2 personal fouls. A pair of turnovers. A block. 18 points to lead the Bulldogs. Iverson Molinar. We know what he can do in maroon and white. 30 minutes of action. Just 5 of 13 from the floor. Got to be a little bit better in that respect. 1 of 5 from beyond the three-point line. Hit both of his free throws. Pulled down a couple of boards. No personal fouls committed. Three assists, two turnovers. Would like to see the assist numbers go up with him. Even though, listen, we want him to shoot, especially when Rocket Watts gets back. 13 points uh, for him. Looking at the rest of your starters, Shaquille Moore. 29 minutes of action, 3 of 7, 8 points for him, 3 steals, 3 personal fouls. Perhaps the hero of the day did not lead us in scoring. Cameron Matthews, 25 minutes of action, 3 of 5 from the floor, 6 of 8, excuse me, 6 and 8, 6 offensive boards, 8 defensive boards, 14 total. How about that? Three personal fouls, four assists to lead the team. How often do you see that from a forward? Just a pair of turnovers, a pair of blocks, two steals, really making havoc on the defensive end. 
People forget how good that kid is. Seven points. DJ Jeffries, the final starter, making also his Bulldog debut, 30 minutes of action. 406 from the line, knocked down a three, four boards, an assist, a turnover, two blocks, two steals, seven points. Not a bad start. Cam Carter off the bench, knocks down 11 in 19 minutes. That's pretty productive. Four of four from the floor. Like what we've seen there. Could be a very, you know, unsung hero on this team. Derek Fountain, one of the heroes late last year, really kind of caught fire at times last year. Uh, 20 minutes for him and and just the four points, but uh, also pulled down five rebounds. So, you know, we've got some – we have some depth here. JV and Davis, a former Alabama transfer, uh, played 13 minutes of action, some of the most extensive action of the reserve players in the post. Just the two points. We pulled down seven big rebounds. Four of those on the offensive end. Committed no personal fouls. That's kind of been an issue with him, learning to play without fouling. And I don't know that we need him to be a prolific scorer. But a good night. Also, uh, Isaac Stansberry, the son of former Bulldog head coach Rick Stansberry, gets into the game late. Commits a personal foul. Gets his name in the box score. So, again, pretty nice night for the Bulldogs. Three double-digit scorers. A lot of people got their name into the stat column. Alden Applewhite with the basket. Justin Rumpf with uh, the three-pointer. State 6 of 18 beyond the arc. That's got to get better. Perimeter shooting, not really our strong suit on uh, the first ball game of the year. Free throw shooting, not great either. But we still managed to win by 75 points on the night. We didn't shoot it well from long, and we were short two players. So, good start for the Bulldogs. Uh, 14 of 30 in the first half, 13 of 26 there in the second half. We shoot 48.2%, total 33.3 from beyond the arc, and just 57% uh, free throw shooting. Got to get a lot better there. 38 points in the paint, 24 points off turnovers. Very opportunistic in that respect. Nine second chance points, and that's attributed uh, to those offensive boards. But uh, we got to do a little bit better job there, too. Fast break points, 23, and then 22 off the bench. The lead changed hands just one time. That was in the early going. So, again, Mississippi State, very efficient. Good start, good crowd. Not a great crowd. Not a great showing. Expect that to uh, improve in the weeks ahead. Now, Saturday, we're going to play Montana at 6 p.m. Humphrey Coliseum. Tickets still available. Come out and support the Bulldogs. I will be at Auburn. Matter of fact, once we get done with the show, I've got a couple things to write over on Gene's page and then going to hit the road, man, to Auburn. I love the trip, man. I do. I enjoy going over to Auburn. I know many of you are still not over the the Cam Newton uh, rub with them. Perhaps cost us a chance to win the SEC West. Looking ahead at Montana, the Grizzlies – 74-27 winners over Dickinson State on Tuesday. So, you know, pretty good start for them too, especially on the defensive end. And some of that's got to do with the quality of competition uh, that they played. They hold uh, Dickinson State 22.2% from the floor, just 12 of 54. 5% from the three-point line. Sounds like Dickinson State just kind of picked five kids out of the student section to go play. Montana, they had three double-digit scorers, Josh Bannon with 15, Kyle Owens with a dozen, and then Derek Carter-Hollinger with 10, and uh, Owens and Carter-Hollinger coming off the bench. 
So not a lot of scoring from four of the five starting spots, but still 74 points. I'm sure they feel pretty good uh, about life. Did not do a great job on the offensive glass. Just five rebounds on the offensive end, 36 on the defensive end, 41 uh, total. Nobody really got in any foul trouble, nor should they in a game like that. So that's what we're looking at. And, of course, uh, Mississippi State should win the game. That's the hope, certainly. And, uh, you know, Bulldogs, again, we know what we uh, expect this year. We expect to be a tournament team. So we got to get rich against these teams. Montana Grizzlies 15-13 and 13 last year. So it wasn't a great team. Played some Power 5 opponents, didn't do quite as well. Lost to USC, Georgia. Uh, they did defeat Washington last year. Pretty big win there. They lose a close one at Arizona, too, 70-64. to 64. Not that Arizona is a program that uh, is what it once was with Lute Olson as the head coach. But, uh, you know, give them some credit for scheduling, you know, pretty aggressively there in the non-conference. But uh, So they will be a decent opponent. But, you know, the talent differential at should point certainly should favor Mississippi State. So excited to see what happens uh, in the ball game. And, again, we will be um, on our way back from Auburn. Might even be pretty close to the state of Mississippi by the time this ballgame tips. So we won't be able to make them both. But uh, we'll get back in time, obviously, uh, to enjoy Starkville on a Saturday night for those of you that are making the trip over to Auburn. Remember, it's 11 a.m. kick. Maybe that favors us. Maybe it doesn't. You know, I've had varying opinions over the years. I've talked to Derek Sherrod once about this, and he said he hated the 11 a.m. kick on the road. Liked it at home, didn't like it on the road because everything is kind of sped up. You know, you travel over there, and you, you say you want to go to bed early, but you, you got to get up early, and breakfast is early. There's meetings. you got to get taped up. There's just a lot to it. And the crowd is somewhat subdued, too. And we've had some pretty good successes over the years on the road at 11 a.m. So we'll see. And we'll talk more about that game a little bit later in the show. But, again, congratulations to Ben Howard and the Bulldogs to get, getting off to a good start. You know, we'll see what how things kind of progress from here. But, uh, you know, looking at the schedule, you would hope that the Bulldogs are 5-0 and by the time they play Louisville out in the Bahamas. That's, that's the hope. You know, this time last year, you know, we were already lamenting an early loss. Iverson Molinar didn't play in that ballgame. But should be able to get off to a 5-0 start. And that's what we need. And we really need these games. You know, we don't need to be nail biters. You know what I'm saying? We need to kind of win, probably show some cohesion on the offensive end. We know that they're going to battle on the glass on the defensive end. And sometimes offensively, this team can be kind of boring to watch. We don't do a whole lot of, uh, you know, high-flying type stuff. We did on the on the break – you know, against uh, against the uh, the guys in North Alabama. And some of that, too, is just out-athleting people. But uh, the reality is, I expect this to be a tournament team. I am, uh, I'm not a huge Ben Howland fan. And you can say, well, Steve, he's our coach. And, yeah, I, I'm a huge Mississippi State guy. I feel that we have underachieved at times. But I think nobody, perhaps in this conference, had a better, you know, off-season than maybe Ben Howland did, working the transfer portal and getting some guys that can come in here and fill some some vacancies and be able to contribute. And even though we've lost DJ, I think we've got a chance to be a really good team this year. So uh, excited about the team, excited about the start, excited about what's to come. I know many of you absolutely love college basketball. I used to be the same way. You know, I, I, I love Mississippi State. And so I cheer for the Bulldogs whenever we play in all courts and fields of play. 
But there was a time we had this discussion, you know, uh, with a friend of mine, uh, Jerome Nettles, a couple days ago. You know, I we drove from Baton Rouge up to watch uh, Mississippi State play Alabama to win the West here several years ago. Charles Rhodes comes out, kisses the M, the M State on the floor, and we just felt like we couldn't lose, and we didn't. It was Senior Day. Feel like we needed to be here for those guys to send them off. They sent us off with a win. And uh, you know, we this program has had some struggle since then. And my hope is is that maybe we have reached some stabilization in many respects. I would like to see Ben Howen go out and do a good job this year, have a great year, sign a nice contract extension, and then us to be headed in the right direction. Uh, I believe Ben Howen can do that. I, I do. I really do. And I do think that, you know, the fact that we've only had uh, one NCAA tournament appearance in his tenure here is a bit of a surprise. And the fact that we were upset in the first round, uh, very much a disappointment. But that's behind us now. Now it's about this team, this season, this year. And like all of you, I'm optimistic about the year. Don't know how deep we can get the tournament. I feel pretty confident that we can make it as long as we can stay healthy. And the good thing is, is that we do have some depth. We haven't always had depth under Ben Howen. You know, we had some guys that were reaches recruiting-wise. We had some guys leave. But I believe that for the first time, really since Ben Howen's been here, we have some quality depth. We'll be able to play a little bit deeper in the ball game, stay a little bit fresher. So there you go. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I'm a big fan of theirs too. Bulldog Burger Company never disappoints. Had lunch there earlier this week, and I did have the BLT salad. And again, didn't finish it. But I also got the uh, the Shipley's Donut Bread Pudding as a dessert. Man, you can't beat that, man. It's outstanding. Save some room for that when you go. And tell them that I sent you. You'll be glad. Maybe you even get an extra scoop of, uh, of ice cream. Maybe you get a bigger scoop. I got mine with ice cream. Maybe you choose not to. I'm a bread pudding fan. And then when all of a sudden you begin to mix all that together and say, we're going to put Shipley Donuts in there and, you know, some ice cream, I, you know, I'm pretty excited about that. You can get that at all three locations right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by, check them out. It's good for a night out with the family or a night out with friends. You can have an adult beverage, full-service bar there, and obviously the best restaurant-quality hamburgers you can find. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, the last couple of weeks, we've had kind of some kind of thin soup when it's come to uh, SEC football. We've had some great games. We just hadn't had a lot of them. So let's take a look at the weekend. I've already submitted my picks to Mike Nemeth. I'm actually trailing. because, And a lot of it's because I've had too much faith in Missouri this year. That's kind of the difference. I've picked Missouri to win some games. Other people have picked against them. And that's really the difference in our standings. And so I got to pick up, man. But I'll be honest with you, I still kind of believe in Missouri. Uh, their defense is a joke. But um, offensively, they can still get out there and do some things. So the first game, there are three 11 a.m. games. We are the only SEC game. We're going to be on ESPN. Uh, but New Mexico State's going to be at Alabama. Kind of a uh, kind of a breather, you know, for Alabama. And it's crazy, too. Alabama, the number two team in the country, but nobody's really talking about them. They, you know, they're, they're going to win the West, and it's going to be pretty easy. But, um, you know, when you look at this thing, this Alabama team, if it's possible, is kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Alabama with a one-game lead over Texas A&M, 5-1 in the league, A&M 4-2. And, and so A&M, you know, 
theoretically could catch them. And A&M, of course, holds a tiebreaker. So if A&M and Alabama finish with the same conference record bar and it's just a two-way tie, then A&M goes to Atlanta. Might be better for the conference long term. I don't think Texas A&M is a team that um, is capable of winning the NFL championship. I think Alabama could be. Don't know so much about A&M. Uh, but Alabama, again, no worries this weekend. And uh, Alabama, 8-1 and one overall. Not a lot standing in their way between another trip to Atlanta. You know, looking at their schedule, New Mexico State, and then they host Arkansas before traveling to Auburn. So they'll play some bowl teams down the stretch, just they want this weekend. So that'll be, you know, that, that, that should be one of those ridiculous scores. I mean, it absolutely should be. But you begin to break this thing down and, and you begin to think, okay, well, if A&M is going to win out, then Alabama really has no margin for error. And I don't know if they've got anybody on the schedule that's really capable of beating them without Alabama just kind of giving the game to them. Even though they have to go to Auburn and you never know what's going to happen in that ball game, they think Alabama's prolific enough offensively uh, to pull away. And I think Bo Nix, even at home, will have a difficult day uh, against that Crimson Tide defense. And it's not the defense it has been, right? I mean, everybody's talking about the Georgia defense, and rightfully so. But this is an Alabama team, I think, that probably is right where they need to be. I'm sure Nick Saban's probably happy that Georgia's getting the headlines. You know, that, that's a real teachable moment. It's like, hey, listen, you know, look at where we are. We're number two in the country. Nobody's even talking about us. We're being disrespected. Let's go out and show them. Let's win all these games, and then we'll go beat Georgia and Atlanta, and we'll prove to everybody before the playoff starts, you know, we're capable of winning a championship. I'll be honest with you, though. I don't, I don't know that they can beat Georgia. Well, we may get to see them play twice. And if you love college football, you love that sort of stuff. Uh, Samford at Florida. Has anybody had a worse couple of weeks than Dan Mullen? I mean, honestly. It's miserable. I guess John Hevesy, you could make an argument. John hadn't had a good couple of weeks. Florida now 4-5 and five in the league and 2-5 and five in the SEC. And you look at this and say, okay, well, they should still win out. But 7-5 and five at Florida with what they have coming off an SEC East Championship? Nah, come on, man. Come on, Dan, get it together. They will absolutely baste Samford this weekend. That's in the swamp. What's going to be interesting is, uh, you know, Christian Robinson, former Ole Miss linebacker and former quality control guy, GA, I guess, at Mississippi State or Ty Grantham, uh, he is calling the defensive plays at Florida. That's a big job. And I, I really like him. I, I really, really do. He is a great guy. I think that he is going to be a guy that uh, really kind of rises up the ranks of the coaching profession. I won't be the least bit surprised to find out that he is a defensive coordinator at a G5 school here in a couple of years. Very intelligent guy. Very personable. Will be a great recruiter. And uh, we'll get a chance to kind of build a resume a little bit here in the final three weeks because this Florida defense has really struggled. And you would say, well, Steve, I don't understand that. Well, you know, I had a Florida staffer tell me last year, postseason, you know, Steve, we just don't have any dudes on defense. we got some coming, but we just don't have any. You look at the last three weeks, LSU puts up 49, Georgia puts up 34, South Carolina puts up 40. You don't see those scores at Florida. You might see them at Florida State. You don't see them at Florida. But they'll drill Sanford, and then they travel to Missouri. And that's going to be interesting. That's going to be a very interesting game. I felt all along that was one Mizzou might be able to get, had no clue their defense would be in the shape that it is. But also, 
Did you think that Florida would be 5-5 five and five going to, to Como looking to, to earn bowl eligibility? But Florida should be favored in these final three games. But based on what we know about Dan Mullen, you know, who knows? It's possible they could lose two of the last three. They got to win two of the last three to get bowl eligibility. They could lose two out of three. They could beat Sanford and then lose on the road at Mizzou and then lose at home to Florida State. And then if you're Scott Strickland, you probably have to kind of reach out to some guys and uh, put a big check together. And you can say, see, there's no way they fire him after an SEC East Championship one year removed. And I think that's probably true. But I also think, too, that there are a lot of people that are influential in Florida football that aren't going to sit around and let Dan Mullen dismantle their program. It takes a special coach to coach a Blue Blood team. It really does. I've had some discussions with some Florida media members and some fans here in recent days. I went over their message board and uh, shared a few comments and had some people reach out via the uh, Jeans page 247 inbox. And they're, they're very concerned. They're worried that this is a harbinger of things to come. That a 7-5, and 6-6 six and six type year will be replicated next year. Because they're going to miss some pieces too. Next year, they're going to have some guys go pro. And what's amazing to me is, you know, when Dan Mullen was here at Mississippi State, we had great culture. We had amazing culture at Mississippi State. Dan wasn't always the easiest guy to be around, but the guy produced winning football teams. Now, you can, you know, an eight and four year at Mississippi State's a really good year. We're pretty excited. You do that at Florida a couple of years, you're updating your resume. And in many respects, I think Dan Mullen's kind of been exposed this year. I mean, really. It's like because he played Alabama close early in the year, everybody's like, well, hey, Florida's taking the next step. And why wouldn't you think that, right? They win his first couple ball games, and then they uh, they host number one Alabama. They lose by two. They got well behind in that ball game. But they came back. Kind of the same thing that happened in Atlanta. You know, a lot of people didn't give him a chance last year. Now they... They went to Atlanta and really made a game of it. Then they drill Tennessee, and you're thinking, okay, everything is okay. Everything is good. They're going to win the East. It'll be a rematch to Alabama. They just got to get through Georgia. And what do they do? They stump their toe against Kentucky. And at that point, they were out of the SEC East race. But interesting times in Gainesville, Florida, to say the least. The other 11 a.m. game is us. I picked Auburn to win this game. And there are a couple of reasons why. Number one, Auburn Jesus. People say, well, Steve, what does that mean? Well, just, you know, Auburn always seems to, somebody saves them in the end. Whether it be the officials, usually it's the officials. A lot of times it's the officials. But they always have the mojo. It's kind of like, you know, when you go beat LSU. You know, it's, you don't have to just beat them. You got to beat the voodoo priestess and everybody else involved. It's difficult to win on the road at Auburn. We have not done a lot of that in our history. No, we have, and we remember those games because that is really kind of the uh, the exception rather than the rule, right? So we have played those guys a lot of times. They've beaten us 65 times. We have just 27 wins all time against Auburn. Some of those have come on the Plains. Our last win, of course, 2018, 23-9 winners, and uh, that game was not without some hard feelings from Auburn. You know, Nick Fitzgerald gets in at the goal line. They call it a touchdown. They review it. It's inconclusive. Auburn people said they were sure he was short. I don't think anybody can say with any authority whatsoever 
but the call on the field stood. But they lose 23 to 9. You know, then you've got the, you know, the big run late. We run him down, force a fumble, and recover, and it was a clear fumble. Now, they're mad about it. And that was interesting, too. It's like, you know, we talk about all the officiating back then in 18, and everybody's like, well, Mississippi State had those two fumbles. No, we didn't. It was a fumble. It was clearly a fumble. And anybody that says otherwise is just a homer for Auburn or somebody just trying to be difficult. State wins the ballgame. That's our only win in our last five opportunities against them. And a lot of these games have not been competitive. I think this one will be. Dak and the crew beat them over there in 15. Of course, we win the big game here in 14 that takes us to number one in the country. We lost in 13. You remember that one, right? Remember that, that wild game? It's crazy. We win in 12. You know, so for a stretch there, you know, it's three out of four years that we beat Auburn. So it's been more competitive as of late. But the, but the reality of it is is that uh, there have been some good games against Auburn that we have lost. There have been some others that we have just not even been competitive in. Now, I think about that 2017 game. That was after we went down to play Georgia. And they dial us up and just smoke us. And then we went over and played Auburn and just really weren't competitive. 2019, you know, Joe takes our group over there, and the, and the game was decided before the first quarter was over. We were just so ready to get out of there. It was a miserable experience. We get beat, beat 56 to 23. I don't expect that this week. I do expect Auburn to be up to play us. I think this is also a game that you look at and say, you know what, this is a game that requires some real focus for, for Auburn because they're not in a situation where they can take us for granted. We're as good as they are. And I think deep down they probably know that. They're 6-3 and three overall. We're 5-4. and four. You know, we hadn't played our FCS game like they have. You know, we still got that to go. They've only got two games left after us, and that's Auburn at South Carolina. should be a win. And then they host Alabama. should be a loss. So if they beat us, you know, they're looking at 8-4 and four a year. Probably a good start to Brian Harson's career. But, you know, it's the deal, too, with Auburn. You know, with Gus, that was kind of how it always was, right? Those eight and four years just weren't good enough. But uh, I think we lose a close one. As much as I want to pick us and as much as I want us to win, I just think it's too much for us to overcome. And then we'll beat Tennessee State next week, and that'll make us bowl eligible. Then we'll beat Ole Miss. And then we'll feel great about life and say, you know what? Hey, seven and five. We won four games total last year, including the bowl game. We won our bowl game this year. You've won eight. So you've doubled your win total with just about everybody coming back next year. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right. The Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid. That was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on have our chaps, our vest, and we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice, or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. 
It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, Georgia and uh, at Tennessee, that's your 230 CBS game. And uh, Tennessee has found some offense as of late. They got their, I guess you would call it a signature win. Uh, by beating Tennessee last week. And again, some officiating issues in that ball game that have led to some comments. Mark Stoops basically saying uh, he doesn't even want to send in the tapes to the SEC office anymore because it doesn't make any difference. I wonder if uh, he gets fined for that. But the reality of it is it's not us. It's not just us. That's what everybody wants to make you think. It just happens to you. It's a you problem, not a league problem. Guys, there is an officiating problem within this league. I said this on Facebook Live last night. People said, well, Steve, how do you fix it? I have the idea. I know exactly how to fix this thing. I do. Nobody wants to hear it, but I have it. So whatever, whatever we're paying officials, double it. And as a result, you overpay everybody. But it protects the integrity of the game. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay better than everybody else. And so we're going to attract the best officials in the country. We're not just going to go get the guys that live in the Southeast. That's what we're going to do. So you know what? We're going to, we're going to be like Mike Leach. We're going to have open tryouts for officials, and we're going to pay them better than anybody in all of college football. But we're also going to hold them to a higher level of scrutiny. And here's what we do. You make a game-changing call that costs one of our league member institutions a ball game, you're done. There's not a second chance. There's not. You're going to see what you call. You're going to call what you see. And if you make a call, and it's one thing to miss a call. If you miss a call, sometimes that's just kind of part of the human experience. I just didn't see it, or you know, maybe it's a judgment call. But if you make a call, you are authoritatively stating, hey, this is an infraction. If it is not an infraction, and you call it as such, and it costs a team the ball game, you're finished. 
You'll be in the Southland Conference the rest of your career. We're never going to hire you again. We're not going to do it. And you know what? The best of the bunch, not the best crew, but the best officials will then work the SEC championship game and have a sizable bonus. And then everybody else will get a ball game. And then we'll bonus you for that too. We're going to pay you better. We say it just means more. Then why are we still trotting these same dunces out there week after week after week, letting them make the same mistakes and selling in the brand of SEC football? And I don't know why that's not talked about more. Because it's never about an individual game. We're sullying our own brand, Greg, by letting this stuff continue. So pay them more. And you know, we say, well, Steve, you know, it's just a part-time job. Okay, fine. Let it be a part-time job. But pay them more than you pay everybody else. Considerably more. I don't want to get any messages and say, well, they're already paying like $1,000 more a game. No, no, no. I'm talking paying them. Pay them to the point that they depend on that money. Pay them to the point that say, you know what, I better not screw up in this ballgame. I've got to give my best effort at all times. And then, you know, Kentucky comes out and says, hey, you know, we had the, we had the, the face mask penalty that went uncalled. And it was a face mask. We all saw it. And then they flag Mark Stoops for daring to be upset about it. Now it brings up a fourth and 24, and lo and behold, they convert. Ball don't lie. But that's the thing, too. If, if I'm a commissioner of the SEC, these guys are not just going to be accountable to whoever the director of officiating is. Now, you're going to be accountable to me. And if I find out that you made a call that changed a ball game, that, that created a loss for one of the schools that I'm overseeing, you're done. You are not import, more important than a team. You as an individual, nobody's paying to come watch you officiate a game. But at the end of the day, your role in that game is the most important. And so I'm going to pay you better, but I'm going to hold you accountable. Because you know what's going to happen when I fire you? I'm going to have about 50 other officials. They're going to be in my inbox saying, you know what, hey, you know what, Steve, I'll take that job. I'll take it. I won't make that call. I'll cash that check, though. Money changes everything. Money moves everything. So make a commitment. You don't think the fans in our conference are willing to pay an extra dollar a game to ensure that we pay the best officials in the country? You might even get some guys from the NFL. You might even be able to outbid them. Go get the best officials you can get because the brand of the SEC is damaged in many respects. You can say, well, you know, Steve, we're still going to have all these bold teams so what you're really telling me is, is you're putting money in front of integrity. It doesn't matter if we mess up as long as we get, you know, 10, 12 teams bow eligible and everybody gets to go. You know, Mississippi State, you're going to be bow eligible. It's never going to be the great bowl, but, you know, you're, you're, going to get a good, you're going to get a bowl game every year and you'll get a good one every three or four years. But you're never going to get the great one because you're Mississippi State. But why not do this? Why not say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to change our focus. We're not going to keep defending these officials. We're not going to keep putting our brand in jeopardy over a person. Because that's what we're doing now. We're saying basically that Matt Holloman, the SEC official that waved his hands, that blew the punt dead at Memphis. And I don't know if you guys, I, I haven't checked. I didn't check the box scores last week, but he hadn't done an SEC game since then. 
but we're not going to just go say, hey, listen, here's the deal. Uh, we're not going to handle it quietly. We're not. Not when I'm in charge. So you know what? Hey, guys, here's what we're going to do. I believe in keeping it real. We made a big mistake in this ball game against Mississippi State and Memphis, and ultimately it was a big play that changed the flow of the ball game. Uh, Matt Hollyfield, our official on that play, blew it dead, and then when asked about it, apparently did not communicate that to the white hat. And then the, the replay official missed it, and you know what? He's out too. So Matt Hollyfield and the replay official, both of those guys are done the rest of the year in the SEC and possibly forever. And we're going to make that public. And people are going to respect us. They're going to say, you know what? The SEC is serious about having integrity in their games. Because if you screw up in the SEC, you're going to forfeit that huge check and they're going to make your name public. And then other people are going to be like, you know what? I don't know if I want this guy officiating my games. He doesn't understand the basic rules of the game. Not to mention just the ethics involved. It's like, okay, why not just go to the White Hat and say, hey, guys, I I screwed up. I did. I thought he was down. I saw Martin Emerson with a knee on the ground. He patted the ball down. No, he didn't grab it. No, he didn't cover it. No, he didn't hand it to me. But that's what I saw. I saw him down in contact with the football. And you know what? I blew it. But he apparently couldn't even do that. And so that's my theory on how we can fix this. I'm not going to belabor the point long, but that's how I feel about it. And again, it's not just us that feels that way. And of course, Alabama's not going to come out and say anything, right? I mean, how many times have you heard Jimbo Fisher talking about officiating this year? How many times? I'm going to call those guys tomorrow. They're going to give me, they're going to give me an explanation on that. And so if it's happening to Kentucky, if it happens in an Auburn game, if it happens to Ole Miss. And, you know, last year, Ole Miss got absolutely screwed in that deal where the guy touched the football and Ole Miss recovers an end zone for a touchdown. You say, well, it couldn't happen to a nicer bunch. And that's true. But this is an epidemic. This is not something that is just a Mississippi State problem. This is an SEC problem. And uh, I worked for a guy named Jim Glover indirectly. He was my boss's boss when I worked for Holly Myers Furniture. And I respected Jim Glover, one of the best guys I've known in the retail industry. And Jim said something that really respects kind of changed my life. He goes, you know, Steve, whenever you get tired of it, you'll do something about it. I've always remembered that. He goes, you know, whenever you get tired of it, you'll fix it. And that's how I feel about this. Whenever Greg Sankey gets tired of it, he'll fix it. He's not tired of it yet. Because if he was tired of it, he would do something about it. He would bring meaningful change, and he would get this thing corrected. And it's amazing to me, as intelligent and brilliant as Greg Sankey is, that we are still having to deal with this. I tweeted out the picture of the block in the back that wasn't on Dedrick Thomas from that 17 game, or was it 18, 18 game, three years ago. I tweeted that out yesterday. And, I, and I, as I'm looking at that picture, because it popped up on my Facebook memories, and I thought, you know, nothing's really changed. I mean, three years. We've had three years to work on this. Not changed. Now, I don't know if Jeff Batts has called any more SEC games since then, so there obviously has been some level of accountability there. But if we're still repeating the same behaviors, we haven't fixed the problem. We may have disciplined the offending official, but we have not fixed the problem. So let's fix the problem. Let's get back on track here. Tennessee, of course, gets their, uh, their big signature win at Lexington last week. They upset number 18, Kentucky. And I had some people on the uh, Gene Spades message board when we got ready to play Kentucky telling me they were a top 20 team. I said, for now, for now. And just so you guys know, if you're not paying attention, uh, Kentucky 
They've now lost three in a row. Four and three. Excuse me, six and three overall. Four and three in the league. They've lost three in a row. Tennessee gets them. But, the, but again, some, some controversy late that's not really involving Tennessee. But Tennessee, when you look at this thing now, they're five and four. And they're looking, yeah, hey, they're looking like a seven and five team too. They get George this weekend. That'll be a loss. Then they get South Alabama and Vanderbilt. Those, both of those should be blowout wins. And so you're, you're looking at a 7-5 and five year in Knoxville. Is that a big year? No, it's not. But I think they've done enough to show they're, they're moving in the right direction. I mean, you, you go back and think about this. I mean, just, you know, they destroyed Missouri. They beat South Carolina. Should have beaten Ole Miss. They should have. But give Ole Miss credit for winning the ballgame. They did. They're in the game against Alabama for a while. They beat Kentucky on the road. You know, how can you argue against the fact that, hey, Tennessee is moving in the right direction? They absolutely are. Uh, the three again, the three o'clock uh, SEC Network game that is basically the, uh, the game that they're just kind of like hiding in plain sight that runs opposite the CBS game. It's a game that nobody's going to watch except for the fans of those teams. South Carolina, Missouri. I picked Missouri in this game, and there's a couple reasons why. I think South Carolina's heads are still in the clouds a little bit after beating Florida last week. I think Missouri is a team, too, that uh, offensively can cause some problems, and South Carolina continues to have some quarterback issues. Didn't really show last week, did it? So this is a toss-up game, but I'm going to pick Mizzou. I guess I had probably been a Missouri homer this year. Hadn't worked out as well as I'd hoped. South Carolina also, too, now in the bowl picture. Got a real chance to make it. And this is probably your last best, best chance to win a ball game. So that'll be a tightly contested game. I do think Missouri wins it. I just don't think South Carolina can win the shootout. I think Florida kind of quit last week. All right, the uh, primetime game, and hopefully we'll be able to, to watch some of this. It's one good thing about, um, you know, about getting our 11 A&M game out of the way is we get our game played. Hopefully we win that thing. You can watch that great Georgia-Tennessee game. And then you've got some pretty good games at night on Saturday. A&M at Ole Miss. I don't think the matchup favors Ole Miss, and I've said that for weeks. I love Isaiah Spiller. I do. I do. Like him more than a friend. I mean, that guy is in a credit. I hope the Steelers draft him. He's probably not a first-rounder, but that guy's a pro. And you look at what they've done with their complimentary backs. All of a sudden, Zal Calzada's beginning to play well. Jimbo's figured some things out. A&M, I still think, has a great chance to win out. I think Ole Miss is in, uh, in some trouble. Because I think that what's going to happen is A&M is going to be able to run the football with regularity. And I think they are good enough on defense to get stops. And next thing you know, when you start – you go down a couple scores to a team like A&M that can run the football and shorten the game on you, you got to go make a play. And Ole Miss has been beat up. they got a couple guys going to try to give it a go this weekend. Uh, but they have not been healthy to their – you know, not to make excuses for them, but this is not an Ole Miss team at full strength. Even though it's at Oxford, I just think A&M is a bad matchup. And I don't think Ole Miss has a talent on defense to really slow them down. So if A&M goes down there and doesn't turn the football over, I think they're going to win probably two possessions. I really do. And I think this Ole Miss team is really, really, really beat up. And this is such an unforgiving league. You know, it's like once you get through, once you get your FCS game behind you, you can't really rest people. 
you look at this, uh, you know, Ole Miss game, you know, next week against Vanderbilt, and that's at Oxford too. If we get Tennessee State, we, we ought to be able to, you know, rest our guys in the second half. I know Ole Miss would love to be able to rest guys, and they'll listen, they'll beat Vandy handily. But they're still going to be playing some SEC caliber football players, maybe not what they normally see. I'd much rather play an FCS team rather than Vanderbilt. And you say, well, it's still kind of a week off. Listen, Ole Miss will beat Vanderbilt. But they'll probably have to play their guys a little bit deeper in the ballgame. And on a short week, maybe that makes a difference, especially for a team that's a little bit roster challenged right now uh, due to health. But again, looking at Ole Miss now, you know, seven and two, you know, so that, you know, they're, they're going to be eight and four, worst case scenario, right? I mean, and I've, here's the thing, too, is even at nine and three, it's a good year. It's not a great year. It's a good year, not a great year. And then when you think about the fact you've got a Heisman caliber quarterback, you still couldn't win the West and possibly locked out of the New York Six, the New Year's Day Six. It's uh, In many ways, I think you could look at it and say, yeah, it's a step up from what they've had, but it's probably not what it should have been. And then you look at what they're losing. You know, it could be, um, could be an interesting rebuild next year in Oxford, for sure. All right, and so Kentucky, Vanderbilt, look, Kentucky's lost three in a row. They're going to win this week. I don't know that Vanderbilt can keep this thing close. I really don't. I think Kentucky's mad, and they should be. They feel like last week that they um, they got the short end of the stick with the officiating, so they're not going to leave the game in the hands of the officials. And that's the thing you look at, too. It's like after a frustrating loss, what do you need more? You know, a hapless opponent. You know, Vanderbilt obviously um, – not good. But, uh, you know, again, they might be able to hang in for a quarter or so. But Kentucky is facing a 2-7 and seven team that, um, that lost earlier this year to East Tennessee State in, in the SEC play outside of the South Carolina game. They have not been in ball games. Vanderbilt hung in there a little bit for a while for, with Mizzou. But that was really more about Mizzou. Very much so. And so they, they likely won't win another game. So they're looking at 2-10 and 10 and 0-8 and in the league. Don't have to worry about that for a while. And then Arkansas-LSU, that's the nightcap. That's a 6-30 game on the SEC Network. And I'm going to be honest with you, I like LSU in this ballgame. And I thought LSU kind of quit on Ed Orgeron a little bit right after the, uh, the, quote, resignation. But look at what they did last week against Alabama. I mean, look at what they did. I think also, too, you know, a 6-6 six and six LSU team, and that's what I think they're going to be. Yeah, I don't think they get a better bowl game than Mississippi State because of all the, uh, you know, the issues there. So we'll see how things progress. I think LSU's going to win the ball game. I think LSU's going to beat Arkansas. And there's a couple reasons why. Number one, LSU is built to stop the run. That's what they're good at. And you saw that last week. They held Alabama to six yards rushing. Alabama. Not Alabama State, not Auburn, not Mississippi State. Alabama to six yards rushing. But what does Arkansas want to do? They want to run the football. But we showed last week, you know, we can kind of hold them under their average. We held them 50 yards under their average. And LSU has some injury issues in the secondary. I just don't think K.J. Jefferson is proficient enough to really exploit those, those issues. I don't like the matchup for Arkansas. And I think LSU is thinking, hey, let's get one more bowl game. They win this one, they get UL Monroe next week. That makes them six and five with A&M coming to town. So Ed will have these guys ready to go. 
And again, they didn't play well at Ole Miss. And, and I think one of the reasons why, number one, I think everybody was a little bit shocked. But also, too, Ole Miss can throw the football. So they had the opportunity to exploit some of your deficiencies in the secondary. I don't think Arkansas can do that. Now you could say, well, Steve, Alabama should have been able to do that. And you're right. Which, again, kind of lends to my point that LSU's kind of waking up a little bit. So I think they're going to find a way uh, to win the ball game. I think it'll be interesting. And if Arkansas wins it, hey, I tip my cap because I just don't think this is a matchup that favors them on the road, a very hostile environment at night against a, a coach that's got nothing to lose. So recapping quickly, your winners this weekend, I believe they are Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Missouri, A&M, Kentucky, and LSU. And it's weird to think that LSU is where they are at this point. We all expected them to struggle this year. I don't think anybody expected them to be, you know, battling for bow eligibility with just a couple of weeks left in the schedule. Pretty interesting, to say the least. Next segment of the show brought to you by clothesofblair.com. So Blair has been on me about the jam band thing. It's not my thing. And I love Blair. I do. He's a friend of mine. But he is, uh, I told him, I said, hey, send me your list of favorites for this particular band. And uh, I'll listen to them, and I'll rank them. How about that? Well, I hadn't got that list yet. So maybe next week we'll do that. I know some of you jam band enthusiasts would like to have a little more diversity on the show. We're going to have some today, uh, but not of the jam band variety. I've got another friend of mine that's a huge widespread Panic fan. Like, he has, like, album posters, like, framed on his wall. He's been to see them maybe two dozen times. I'm going to reach out to him because I know that some of you guys are, are panic fans. I've got another good friend of mine that sees widespread every time they come within a reasonable driving distance of Mississippi. So I don't listen to widespread panic. I don't. But I have some good friends that do. So I may reach out. Maybe we do them in the weeks to come. So there you go. But today's top ten list is uh, a very, very important rap group. And, not, and it, to call them just a rap group is almost disrespectful because their influence in American culture kind of exceeds and, uh, you know, well beyond just the rap community. We discussed this band recently when we did the rock rap collaborations. I'm talking about Public Enemy. Now, Public Enemy, kind of a controversial band when they first hit the scene because they talked about many social issues and things that we were kind of unaware of. They're out of uh, New York. And for those of us in South Mississippi, we just didn't know a lot about these issues. And so it's like you hear these guys speaking so authoritatively and articulately about real-life issues. They became the voice of their community. But what's interesting about Public Enemy, despite their fame and the tens of millions of records they've sold, they've never been really critically acclaimed. Three platinum albums, two gold albums, 15 total albums. But they have never won a Grammy any of that kind of stuff. They've been kind of the people's champions. And in 2013, they were inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm not a big fan of bands outside of the rock genre making the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But if I was going to pick a rap artist, it'd be Public Enemy. Because they have the spirit of rebellion. They do. So here are your top 10 Public Enemy songs. I did not include 911 as a joke. Even though that is kind of a legendary song. I, I didn't, because I think it's a little bit silly. But the reality of it is, is uh, you know what Chuck D was talking about, we, we dial 911, nobody ever comes. So number 10 on the list is Shut Them Down. 
shut them, shut them down. You, I, you've heard this. You've heard all these songs at some point. You may not have even known the, the titles. But Terminator X, when he was uh, the DJ of the group, and he was a mobile DJ that did parties and things like that, and when Chuck D was putting his group together, that's who they got initially. Had a handful of DJs over the years, but uh, Terminator X, of course, is the guy that uh, was the guy kind of providing the tracks and uh, shut them down, one of the very first uh, really big hits for them. Number nine, Brother's Gonna Work It Out. Check that out. It's almost like a song of empowerment, too. You know, it's one of those songs that it's like, you know, whatever happens, we're going to figure this thing out. Number nine, excuse me, number eight, most people don't realize this. And if you've watched the game, the movie, he got game, Jesus Shuttlesworth, Ray Allen of UConn, who lost to Mississippi State in the Elite Eight, or was it Sweet 16? Great movie. I watch it, like if I ever just stumble across it on TV, I always watch it. Well, Public Enemy provided a soundtrack, He Got Game. The title track is He Got Game. One of their better albums. One of their better songs. Number seven, one of those songs that kind of pushed Flavor Flav to the forefront, it's Don't Believe the Hype. Don't. Don't Believe the Hype. What's interesting, too, Public Enemy, while, while they were respected, there were a lot of people that would take a shot at Chuck D and Flavor Flav. And I guess they were trying to, like, trade some cred on the fact that uh, Public Enemy had such a huge following. This is kind of about some of that. Number six, one of the first tracks that Chuck D ever put together. And this is when Chuck was basically a solo MC, And this song kind of remained in the set list for many years. It's Public Enemy number one. And really, it was, you know, the song predates the name of the band. And so when Chuck D was uh, you know, kind of going after, he and another, uh, you know, rival MC or whatever, were kind of getting after each other. This is, you know, this is Chuck D basically saying, this is who I am. I'm public enemy number one. I'm the best. Number five, this is, again, one of those songs that evokes a lot of history. I remembered years ago. And if you were one that frequented the uh, Pedal Roller Dome in 1991, I was your DJ. How about that? That was me. And every so often, the phone would ring in the DJ booth and say, Hey, Steve, can you turn it down? It's a little bit loud. Which is true. I turned those kids on to all kind of stuff. And one of the songs that I turned them on to was Can't Trust It by Public Enemy. I still love that song. I still listen to it. It's a, a song that makes me a little bit uncomfortable at times, even though I've heard it all this, all these times and all these years. The song's 20 years old, still rings true today. Number four, Welcome to the Terror Dome. And there are some people that wouldn't have this one as high on their list. I absolutely love this track. I love the music behind it, and I love the lyrics. That's the thing about Chuck D is there's a lot of people that have a lot of good flow but you can't always make out what they're saying. That's not the case with Chuck D. His delivery is top shelf. Welcome to Terror Dome. Number three, Night of the Living Bassheads. He would say, well, you know, Steve, I don't know if I know that one. Yeah, you do. You know it. There's a lot of little one-liners that got sampled out of that song from Chuck and from Flav that other people used in, uh, in their rap tracks. But Night of the Living Bassheads was one of those that I think that everybody has probably heard uh, more than once. Number two, this song appeared on the rap rock collaborations with Anthrax. 
It's Bring the Noise. I love the attitude in this song. I love, love how in your face it is. I think a lot of people, when they hear it, they don't fully understand this is really kind of an anthem of freedom. It is. Inequality. Number one, in many respects, this is the one that kind of started it all for them. This was the one, you know, when, when the MTV generation really got fired up and they didn't play this a lot during the day. But then all of a sudden, Yo MTV Raps and Fab Five Freddy and then Dr. Dre and Ed Lover came along. And then Fight the Power was played regularly. Number one on the list is Fight the Power. A lot of these songs, whether they apply to your daily life or not, can still be inspirational anthems to you. And that's one of the things that I love about Public Enemy, and especially Chuck D. You know, Chuck is a guy that's uh, kind of taking care of himself. You know, Flavor Flav has had uh, a lot of issues, shall we say. You know, but Chuck is a guy that has always spoken so intelligently and articulated so many problems in our society in a way that made it easier for people to digest. It makes us uncomfortable at times, but guys like Chuck D are very necessary in life because they educate us. Whether you agree with all of his politics or not, it is impossible to deny the influence the public enemy, Chuck D, have had, not just on the rap community, but on America as a whole. And there are a lot of people that were you know, really upset, uh, and I didn't include this song on the list, and I very well could have. Uh, by the time I get to Arizona, when uh, the state of Arizona elected to abolish the Martin Luther King holiday, and they ended up, the NFL moved the Super Bowl from Arizona to L.A. that year because of that decision that you know, Chuck D. spoke out. And there was, the video itself was banned from MTV. They, they debuted it. But because it depicted violence against some government officials and stuff, they, um, they took it off the air, which made us want the song that much more. That's kind of how that happens. It's like, hey, they're just trying to silence the truth. And there are a lot of things today that people share on social media that aren't the truth. Even if people believe in them, they just kind of put their own narrative out there and say, oh, you're scared of the truth. Government officials were scared of Chuck D, and not because they felt that he had a propensity to violence, but because he had the ability to incite and had the ability to inspire people to take action. That's what real activism is. It's not just changing your Facebook profile page and putting a little ring around it and say, well, this is what I stand for. That's one of the reasons that I respect a guy like Chuck D so much is he let his voice be heard. And nowadays, anybody's voice can be heard. That's the best and worst thing about social media. But the reality of it is, is without guys like Chuck D, there are a lot of people's stories that would never have been told. And again, as soon as all this stuff happened with Arizona... Uh, Chuck D's in the studio saying, hey, here's what I've heard and here's what I think and here's why this is wrong. And so, again, an incredible catalog, 15 albums to choose from. And again, a lot of them weren't necessarily best-selling albums. That doesn't mean that they don't have some information within them that you need to know. There were a lot of people that were against Public Enemy. You know, the album uh, takes a nation of millions to hold us back. You know, a lot of people were against Public Enemy because they spoke out about things that people didn't want, want told. They told stories that people were against. And there were a lot of people, of course, that uh, you know, they put the advisory lyrics, uh, explicit advisory uh, stickers on their albums. And as a teenager, that just made me want to go buy them that much more. I was like, well, this is what you know, Tipper Gore and the PMRC and us people like that don't want me to listen to, so maybe I should. Maybe I should go listen to this. You know, because Chuck D wasn't speaking about 
you know, parties in Miami's and things like that. You know, Chuck D was speaking about real social consciousness. And so that's the top 10 list. I am a public enemy fan. I was probably one of the first people in the state of Mississippi to have a public enemy hat. Still have such a, uh, you know, real affection, you know, for Chuck D and those guys. And, and even if I haven't always agreed with what he's had to say, I've learned something from him. And there's a lot of people today that are involved in music and not just in rap, but in music in general, that have absolutely nothing to say. They have nothing to say. They don't believe in anything. They believe in making money. And you know what? I guess in some respects, I can respect that. But the thing about Chuck D was, is, you know, Chuck D, because of his outspokenness, probably cost him some record sales and certainly some radio airplay. And he did it anyway. They did it their way. And now they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Very well deserved. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. On Monday, we're going to do a singer-songwriter that, uh, you know, from decades ago. Not like Public Enemy at all. We have a lot of versatility on the top 10 list here on the Boneyard. So if you've got ideas, reach out and let me know. If you're looking for lists, and at least once a day somebody messages me looking for the list, you can save yourself some time and those keystrokes by searching Dogmatic67 on Spotify, if you're on Spotify. Or you can just search Twitter for Dogmatic67 and put in the name of the band, and it'll come up. Izzy Mandelbaum does a great job putting that stuff on Apple Music for us. For those of you that don't subscribe to Spotify, thanks so much for all your ideas. Uh, Some of them are very, very good. Some of you guys reach out and say, hey, I'd love for you to do this band. I've already done them, or I I can't speak authoritatively about them. But I do have some people around me that um, enjoy some music that perhaps that I don't. And so I just want to have some credibility when we talk about it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know... If somebody said, hey, Steve, could you do a top 10, uh, you know, Kajagoogoo list? Well, I know Too Shy, and that's the only song I know from them. So, no, I don't think that I could do that list. And I don't think there is like this, uh, you know, grassroots movement of fans today that are big Kajagoogoo fans. But I, you, you laugh when you hear that. That song went to number one. But you laugh, but you, you'd be amazed at like some of the lists that people send. Say, hey, Steve, could you do this? Could you do that? And uh, keep them coming because you never know. You never know. We've had like, I guess we've had Frank Sinatra requested recently. We'll try to work that in here in the coming days. That's been requested a few times. But uh, we'll figure it out. We'll do it our way, right? We've paid our dues. That's top 10 list for today. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Stand and man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, great people, running a great business, providing great merchandise to a great fan base of folks. Go by and see them today. You'll be glad you did. Miss Pam is there as well. Miss Pam Minyard, good friend of mine as well. So glad they made the connection and brought her aboard. She is an absolute great fit there. But if you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. And that is BSR. Stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders, more than 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. And speaking of that, I'd be remiss because I missed it when we got ready to talk about the top 10 list. Somebody pulled up, I had to pause the show. We talk about Blair Chandler and close of Blair. He's still willing to pay for your appraisal. He'll pay for your appraisal just by mentioning the boneyard when you reach out to him. Go to closeofblair.com today. Fill out some information. He'll be in contact with you and say, you know what, Steve, I, I just don't always have the time to do that, and, and maybe it's not going to work out. 
Let me give you Blair's personal cell number. Blair Chandler, a good friend of mine, had him in my phone a long time before he was a sponsor of the show. 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And mention to him that you heard about him on the Boneyard. And he'll pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. It's a good time to refi. Get your equity working for you. So I apologize. So Blair gets a couple mentions on the show. But I want to make sure that, because what happens is from time to time, somebody will message me and say, hey, I know you've mentioned that close the Blair thing. Can I have the number? And he's a bulldog. And you know I believe in doing business with bulldogs. Matter of fact, I had a meeting yesterday. I won't tell you who with. But, you know, we're, we've got some business stuff we're working on. And uh, I went and met with some people. And I said, hey, tell me a little bit about your background. And he talks about, oh, well, you know, I was born and raised in Mississippi. I graduated from state. I said, okay, you can stop right there. You can stop right there. Oh, yeah? I said, oh, yeah, because I don't do business with people that aren't bulldogs unless I can help it. That's just the reality of it. I don't do business with people that are non-bulldogs unless I absolutely have to. And especially when it's something as important as business and financials and things like that, I'm going to do business with bulldogs. I don't want other people having access to that information because I believe the bulldogs protect each other. We're a pack. We're a wolf pack. Used to be a one-man wolf pack, and now I have all of you. So do business with Bulldogs. I encourage you to do so. Keep it in the family. All right, let's talk recruiting a little bit. And uh, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people want to know, hey, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? And so let me run down a few things for you. Let me pull up the, the in-state rankings at 247 Sports. You can find those. Go over to jeanspage.com, and there is a, a tab there. Pretty simple. It says FBREC for football recruiting. And then there's a drop-down menu there that has about, oh, I don't know, 14, 15 links you can go to just to kind of get information. And so I'm going to click on the Player Rankings tab here, go to State Rankings, and we're going to pick Mississippi. And I'm going to kind of update you on what I know because it's been a pretty active month. So Branson Robinson is still the number one player in the state of Mississippi, and rightfully so. I have him number one. I had uh, Jaheim Otis number two for a long time. Branson Robinson, I think, is a freak of an athlete. Will do a great job at Georgia. He has shown no signs of wavering in his commitment to the University of Georgia. And a lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, I don't understand why we weren't more in the game with him. Well, we were early on, and then his recruitment exploded. And he's a guy, too, that wants to carry the football 20, 25 times a game. That Georgia offense kind of fits his skill set pretty much. And so I don't expect any drama with him. I know a lot of people will continue to make a run at him. But I think the way the way George is playing right now, it makes it awfully easy for him to say, you know what, I'm going to stick with George. And people are like, you know what, I get it, I understand. So I wish him the best. He is a great young man, really, really is. Really, really happy for him. You know, I wish he was going to Mississippi State. But at the same time, too, I understand it and uh, wish him a great career there at the University of Georgia. Number two on the list is Jaheim Otis. Jaheim Otis, number two. And there were some people early on that had Kamari Rogers number one. He has dropped now. He's there at number three. But let's talk more about Otis. So, Jaheim Otis is from Columbia High School. That's right, the Columbia High School. I went there. Walter Payton went there. Fred Peters went there. James Harvey went there. Eddie Payton went there. A lot of greatness out of Columbia, Mississippi. And a little sweetness. But Jaheim Otis, the next big Wildcat to come through there. And uh, Jaheim has the boys playing exceptionally well. We've got the new stadium down there. And uh, Jaheim is one of those guys, too, that uh, made an early decision. 
And so here is what I know about how that all kind of came to be when it all went down. All right. And so there are a lot of people that say, well, you know, it's Alabama. And it is. But here's the deal. So what I was told is he went over there on a visit and sat down with Nick Saban. They're like, hey, here's the deal. You know, look, we love you. And you're like number one on our list. But here's the deal. If, uh, if you're not ready to commit, we got to go get number two and number three. And so we committed. And they were like, you know what? Hey, if you want to take visits at school too, we're Alabama. We don't worry about that sort of stuff. Well, since that time, you know, he's kind of got to know some other players and teams and coaches and things like that. And, and he realizes too that maybe perhaps the chance to play earlier in his career is probably somewhere other than Tuscaloosa. Now, Alabama's still recruiting him hard. Don't get me wrong. They're not in any way backing off of the kid. But it's going to boil down to state and Alabama. Alabama is Alabama. Mississippi State has produced a ton of defensive linemen. He could come in here and play early. He also is really more of a Mississippi guy. Likes to ride four-wheelers, likes to go hunting, likes to go fishing, likes to fry catfish. Wants to play on a defensive line. Would get the opportunity to do that fairly early at Mississippi State. He's also made some really great relationships with some of your current players who are continuing to kind of uh, you know, answer his questions about kind of life away from all this stuff. And he is expected to be here December the 3rd for his official visit. He may only visit Mississippi State and Alabama. I know some other people have suggested that Ole Miss may get a visit. They have really not been the factor that has kind of been advertised in his recruitment. That's not to say that they won't get a one-day visit or whatever. I know there are a lot of Ole Miss people in my hometown that are pushing Ole Miss. But in the end, I think it's going to be State and Alabama. And I think it is going to be a very difficult decision for him. So at this point, I don't, I can't really tell you what I think he's going to do because I don't really have a good feel on that. But Mississippi State very much in the game, and I think State very well could get him. We talked about how well Columbia High School is playing. The way they're playing also will kind of limit his ability to take some official visits. The, the Wildcats, the Columbia High Wildcats, 10-1 this year. Their long loss is a 14-7 loss to Petal. Since that time, they've won eight in a row. They beat our hated rivals from West Marion, and we do thank them for Colby White. We beat them 56 to nothing. When I was a kid, West Marion High School came over there and, uh, and uh, put some towels on our, our field right before homecoming and spelled out West WMHS and set them on fire and burned that in our 50-yard line. I think we beat them 70 to nothing. We beat Jeff Davis 34-7, and then we run on down the list here. And so, you know, they play – South Pike last week in the playoffs, won that game 35-6. They'll play Bay High tonight in a ballgame. Columbia likely should have won the state championship last year. And we lose to Chandler Pittman and McGee in the slop up there and uh, give them credit. They just found a way to kind of get things done. I think Chandler was a big part of that. But it wasn't much of a ballgame just because of the fact that the quality of play was so bad. But, again, McGee wins the game. But uh, stay in a good spot with uh, Jaheim. Just, uh, you know, we've got to continue to work hard and, and do a good job on, on the visit. Uh, Kamari Rogers committed to Miami long ago. I was the first to crystal ball that, and everybody said, oh, no, no, he's not going down there. Well, that's where he's committed. Uh, Manny Diaz has been announced that he is expected to be retained. That kind of complicates things a little bit. But the reality of it is, is that State has kind of been a silent suitor in this thing. Kamari now expected to be at Mississippi State December 3rd as well for that big recruiting weekend. Uh, Steve Wolfong of 247 Sports National reports yesterday, Kamari not going to visit Ole Miss this weekend. A lot of people projected that to happen. 
Uh, he's not headed that direction. Uh, number four on the list, Xavier Harris. I really like Xavier Harris, but I like him as an offensive lineman. 6'8", 335 pounds. Came to camp, worked out as a defensive lineman, was big, not necessarily the most agile. I think this guy could play football a long time as an offensive tackle. I've said that on my show before. Uh, and I just don't think he's going to be able to get good pad level playing defensive tackle at 6'8". Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. Uh, number five on the list is Marquez Dortch. And, and this is one of the things I want to talk about, too. Marquez Dortch, good friends with MJ Daniels that signed with Ole Miss last year, and you know how all that went. And it's interesting, too. I laugh about this stuff, too. There's all this revisionist history with Ole Miss because, you know, many of their fans are like have a BS degree in revisionist history. You know, I said last year that I was worried about MJ Daniels late. Said it on the show, wrote articles about it. Like, oh, you know, well, Steve said that. No, no, I didn't say that. I, you know, there are some things at times that I'm wrong about. But about MJ Daniels flipping the Ole Miss, that being a real possibility, even when they're, they're people, Yancey Porter included, saying that they expect that kid to stick with State, no. And I said then, I'm worried about it. It's a real possibility. And then all of a sudden on National Signing Day, he flips. And then Marquez Dorch was expected to follow him. Well, Marquez Dorch doesn't want to play defensive back. And here's the thing that's interesting to me. And if this was, if the shoe was on the other foot, we would be talking about this nonstop. Marquez Dorch committed to Ole Miss and really hadn't been up there for anything. Has not attended a game up there all year. You can say, well, Steve, maybe he has trouble getting rides. He's been to Mississippi State games. So if we had a kid committed to Mississippi State that could never make it to our games, made it to Ole Miss games, would we not expect him to flip? And there are – Dave Johnson has come out and said, yeah, I think this is just a matter of time before he flips. But, you know, you can take kids at their word, but their actions have to kind of match your your assessment of all that. Marquez Dorch, I believe right now, is going to flip to Mississippi State. I think that is just simply a matter of time. He also will visit Mississippi State December the 3rd. Uh, the number six player in the state, Trevion Williams, former Florida State commitment. I feel really, really good about where things stand with him and Mississippi State right now. Ole Miss, a bit of a factor. Not as much as they would like to be, though. He went up there, had to visit, and then has been to Mississippi State a couple times since then. Uh, I guess he's been here three times this season. I think that's right. And we'll be back December the 3rd. Um, so that, that'll be interesting as well. Hopefully he can get back for the Egg Bowl. It's difficult, even though it's in-state kids. It's tough to get to the, the Egg Bowl, you know, because a lot of people, it's a family day, and you get your cousins you only see once a year. So maybe we can get him here for that. Don't know yet. But he also is set to visit Mississippi State December the 3rd. Uh, Bryson Hurst, the number seven player on, on the list. I love this kid's game. I really do. I, I think he is a next-level type offensive line prospect. And it is a shame that uh, he's not coming to Mississippi State. He is – I fully expect him to stick with Ole Miss. Uh, I, I, unlike Xavier Harris, I don't think he needs a change. And I, I think he might be able to play right tackle, but I love him on the interior. He is a guy that doesn't shy away from any of that. Good get-off. I think he is a great player. I think that uh, his senior film maybe isn't matching his true potential. I think once he gets in a college weight room, he's going to be – he'll be a molder. And I, I wish he was going to Mississippi State, but he's not. It's going to Ole Miss. Mississippi State not even really actively recruiting him right now. Aaron Bryant, number eight player from South Haven, committed to Texas. I expect that to stick. I think Ole Miss will make another late run at him, but I don't think that much is going to change with him. And uh, Aaron, another guy too, State won the first offers for him, 
And the next thing you know, his recruitment absolutely blows up. And I've said, you know, for a couple of years now, I thought this class was going to be a really good one. And uh, I, I think all of the guys that we've mentioned so far have a chance to be longtime starters in the Southeastern Conference. Number nine on the list, Stone Blanton, one of the top undeclared prospects in the state of Mississippi. I still expect it to be Mississippi State. I know there have been some, some rumblings out there. And listen, let's be honest. If he was completely sold on Mississippi State, he'd already be committed to Mississippi State. Committed to Mississippi State baseball early on. Then his football recruitment blew up. Uh, I still expect it to be State. Ole Miss has made this thing awfully interesting. And the fact that he hadn't committed tells me that, hey, he's had some thoughts about going to Ole Miss. I think when you look at that team up there and you say, you know what, hey, they're kind of a fun team right now. They are. And they have been. But I don't know why any kid in the state of Mississippi would want to go play defense at Ole Miss. It just always seems to be the case. The best defensive players in the state of Mississippi usually come to Mississippi State and have good careers. Speaking of that, number 10, Don Terry Russell. Really haven't had any drama with him. He is a guy that uh, really kind of impressed this summer. He's a long, lean guy. Got to put a little weight on, much like his brother, who was really just kind of getting back into football speed, Demonte Russell there. You know, he missed last year due to injury. Not expecting any trouble there. Larry Simmons, I believe, is a top receiver in the state. He committed to Ole Miss very early. It was a big surprise. He is a guy, too, that has not spent a lot of time in Oxford up there this year. State's still involved with him. I still don't expect to flip him. I still think he'll he'll stick with, with Ole Miss unless the coaching change at LSU changes the direction of his recruitment down there. At number 12, uh, Khalid Moore out of Popperville. I absolutely love his game. Absolutely love his game. And I think that he is a guy that will be a great fit. You know, when we look at this Mississippi State defense and you look at the, the quality of play we're getting from linebackers and then you look at the way we're recruiting linebackers right now, I think we feel really good about uh, the future. So that's going to be uh, – that's your recruiting update, you know, for today. Just kind of wanted to take the top dozen kids or so and just kind of update you on kind of where things stand with them. We spend a lot of time talking recruiting – Later in the process, and of course, once the regular season ends here in a couple of weeks, you know, we'll kind of be full bore into that. That, that not to mention, you know, talking about some bowl practices and uh, the bowl picture. But uh, it has been relatively quiet for a while, and we've got some big name players in the state that are still waiting to announce their decisions. I think state's in a good position with most of those guys. And if I had to call it today, I'm probably 99% on Trevion Williams being a bulldog. I'm probably about 90% on Marquez Dorch. I, I think that is just really uh, – probably 90 might be a bit conservative. I, I still think Stone Blanton will be a Bulldog. I think that is well better than 50%. I would also say that the odds of Jahi Motis being a Bulldog are better than 50%. Uh, I, I think it's tough to beat Alabama on a kid they really want. They took a commitment from the, the Hastings kid earlier this week. It essentially the same position. Uh, so we'll see how things progress there. I don't think that Nick Saban will be patient with Otis late. You know, we, we're kind of in that, that, that mode where we have to kind of wait out some guys. Alabama doesn't have to do that. They'll just kind of plug and play the next guy on the list. Uh, but I do think Jaheim Otis, I, I can't say right now that, that he is going to be a Bulldog. I do think the chances are, are better than 50-50, though. I think we have made some real progress with him uh, here in the recent months. And things have been good. And when he committed to Alabama, it was a bit of a surprise, too. Not necessarily the destination, but the timing. And you get a lot of these guys that commit early on. They haven't even really gone through the recruiting process. And, you know, if guys don't have a connection to a school, you know, basically, as Urban Meyer says, you're basically just saying who I have to beat to get that kid. 
who do I have to outwork? Who do I have to outrecruit? And so it's a long process, and we're basically just over 30 days away from opening the December signing period. And I think most of these guys are going to sign in December. Uh, Jahi Motus, of course, is a January enrollment guy, which really, you know, when you begin to look at his, you know, career path, if you know, he comes to Mississippi State here for the spring, considering the depth that we have coming back, a defensive tackle, there's a good chance he could probably play a dozen snaps as a true freshman. If he works hard, has the benefit of uh, those summer workouts, he'll look like a different player. And he is a big, massive guy right now. But can you imagine what he'll look like after a couple of years in a college weight room? So, again, pretty excited about where we sit. we got to finish. It doesn't matter. Like right now, it's kind of like the third quarter. It doesn't matter if you've got a, you know, two, a two-touchdown lead in the third quarter. you still got another quarter to play. That's kind of where we are. We've got the lead on a lot of these kids. Now we've got to finish. It doesn't matter who led in the third quarter. All all the people care about is the final score. So we've got to do some good things to kind of get that thing done. All right, Portico, I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, this is where I would move because I'd want to be closer to campus, 1.1 miles away from campus. And uh, they're actually working on that road right there, the uh, the bridge, the old West Point Road bridge, right there at the intersection that leads you to Portico. And And that's because many of you are moving out there. And so they're shoring up that bridge so you'll be able to take that right turn there at the four-way stop and get to downtown without any issue. You won't have to go all the way out to the highway. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. So that's some things, probably some advancements around that area maybe you're unfamiliar with. But um, if you're looking to move right now, you're going to be out of luck at phase one. Phase one is completely full. Phase two, construction kind of getting underway there. You can pick out your lot. You can pick out your floor plan and have some say in the home. And then the next thing you know, you don't have to move in and say, you know what, I like it, but nah, you'll have some say in every bit of that. Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call. Brooks Bryan's my friend, your friend, a friend of Mississippi State, a friend of Starkville, and he can fill you in on this information. And listen, if you're dealing with a real estate agent and you're getting ready to move up here or you're considering that and they haven't mentioned Portico, you need to ask him why. It's one of the best places in Starkville to live. 601-416-8075. 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. He can also give you some uh, some Diamond Dog dugout stories while you're on the phone. That's a great thing about listening to the Boneyard. We connect you with the things that are going on here in Starkville. And so Brooks is very apprised of what's happening here. Part of a great group of people that are bringing a wonderful residential development here to Starkville. You start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home. It goes up to three and four. You know, four-bath four bedrooms. So if you've got an investment property opportunity or perhaps this is your secondary home, maybe it's your retirement home. Maybe you just want to live here year-round and be my neighbor. You can do that. Move to Portico. Make it your next move. All right, we have talked recently about big games in the Mississippi State-Auburn series. We have had some big wins. We have not won as much as we'd liked, obviously. But we've had some big wins. And so let's talk about probably our biggest win over Auburn in recent years. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about 2014, our win over Auburn that elevated us to number one in the country. We were number three. They were number two. Florida State was number one. We beat Auburn, and we leapfrogged Florida State to go to number one for the first time in school history. Not the only time. The first time. Kind of like this first NAFL championship. Not our only championship, our first one. You can correct people when they say that. But, uh, you know, State had had a pretty good run against Auburn. I guess, 
you know, Dak had kind of figured some things out. You know, people forget, you know, Dak had to start his first SEC game at Auburn, right? And we still should have won the ball game. We should have. We didn't. We should have. 2014, we do get them. We get them in 14, and I'm sure Dak probably had that game circled on the calendar. If you go back and look at that 13 game and watch that game, Dak had the opportunity to run for a first down, elected not to. Through the pass, ball goes incomplete. Ultimately, we lose the game. Well, this one, we kind of removed all doubt. One of the most glorious days that Davis Wade Stadium has ever seen. Many of you guys were there. Those of you that weren't, you watched on TV. Really good game for us. So let's kind of take a quick look at this. I don't know what's going on with the internet these days. It's like, you, you know, you, you think you've got things figured out and there's a new pop-up window, you know. But uh, so we actually went three and out on that first drive. And then uh, Nick Marshall, who was very good at Auburn, is picked off by Jay Hughes. Their very first offensive play, we pick it off. Jay brings it back 18 yards to the 33. And then you see that touchdown pass to Deronye Wilson on third and 11. You've seen it a million times. Bear flashes across the middle, catches it, breaks a couple tackles, takes a couple guys in the end zone. Now it's 7 nothing. Nick Marshall back to pass again. They throw left. Tavez Calhoun lowers the boom. And then Bernard McHenry jumps on the football. So two offensive plays for Auburn, two turnovers. Mississippi State, again, capitalizes on this. We're complete to Josh Robinson on a 25-yard pass. Touchdown. That was on third and four. The extra point's good. It's 14-0, and all of a sudden, you're running away with this thing. People are thinking, oh, my goodness. This is incredible. Well, then Auburn gets a chance to, um, to have the ball on offense and not turn it over after one play. But uh, they, you know, they pick up you know, a couple yards here. The next thing you know, there is a uh, there's a holding call on Sean Coleman. That's Mississippi native Sean Coleman of Olive Branch. Puts him behind the chains. They end up punting. We get the ball to 29. And uh, we get it back, and we, we move it a little bit. We end up having to punt. Logan Cook with a um, pretty good day as a, as a kick guy. We, we get, we'll get that a little bit later, though. But on this particular drive, uh, we're complete to Robert Johnson, who gets it way down into uh, Auburn territory, and we capitalize, and Dak Prescott runs in for a touchdown. It's 21 to nothing, and we are just absolutely rolling Auburn. Nick Marshall gets the ball back. They get a first down, a second first down, and then there's a big sack by Matthew Wells. Remember him, right? Matt Wells out of Lawrence County, Mississippi. They attempt a field goal. They miss it. We decide to get a little bit cute here. And and I, I think at times, too, we're our own worst enemy. And so we decide to let Logan Cook throw a pass, and it's picked off. It's a three and out, and we decide to, uh, from our own 28, we're going to run the trick play there. And, of course, if it's complete, you know, we're probably going to run them out of the stadium. Well, that allowed them to get a little juice and some, some field position, and they, they cash in there in the second quarter with a field goal. Now it's 21-3. to three. We're still up 18 points. They've got to score three touchdowns to catch us. Next drive, we throw another pick. This time it's Dak rather than Logan Cook. They put together a nice drive, and it's another field goal. 21-6. to six. 
Bulldog defense playing well. Next drive, what do we do? It's another interception. On second and eight at the Auburn 13, Dak throws a pick in the end zone. And you look at this and say, man, we've had so many chances to put these guys away. And we didn't. That would do it. If you go up 28-6 right there midway through the third, second quarter, you know, it's, church is pretty much out. Auburn doesn't capitalize. They end up punting. And then Jamar Graham fumbles the football. You remember that? Love that kid to death. But he fumbled the football. Auburn recovers with 6.20 to go in the quarter. And again, if we just stop shooting ourselves on the foot, it's like all those turnovers that gave us early, we gave them all right back. So that's three consecutive drives that we turned the football over. Excuse me, four consecutive drives. Logan Cook's interception, Dak has two, and then we have a fumble uh, from Jamoral Graham. Let them hang around. And what happens? They go right down and score. They hit Duke Williams for a touchdown, makes it 21-13. And then the rains came. It's pretty crazy. Dak goes down, ends up scoring on a 15-yard run, and then uh, makes it 28-13, so you feel like we're okay. We get a three and out from the defense. They punt. And maybe this is when the rains came. I forget. I was walking up the tunnel with my stuff. And, um, and what do we do? We, uh, we fumble again. It's like third and two at our 35, and uh, we fumble. Gus Wiley fumbles. Remember him out of Lee County? He fumbles. But we get it back, thank goodness. And then we basically run the clock out. And so you feel like, okay, it's 28-13. You knew Auburn was going to make a run at us in the second half. But we feel like we're okay because we had Dak. Auburn gets the ball first. Uh, they drive down and then end up – excuse me, they didn't drive down, excuse me. We made a couple nice plays here. There was even an offensive pass interference call on Sammy Coates, and he kind of had a history of that. So I think officials were looking for that. Nullified a 68-yard completion that was down to the state two. It was kind of a ticky-tack call in many respects, to be honest with you. But when you've got that reputation, officials aren't going to give you the benefit of the doubt. We ended up getting a, uh, a punt out of the deal – rather than them having a first and goal opportunity. We don't capitalize, but we punt. Auburn comes back. Another Duke Williams touchdown makes it 28-20. And at this point, we're all getting a little bit nervous. It's like, you know, we've had this big lead. A lot of our breaks, a lot of things have gone our way. And we're only up eight points with plenty of ball game left. And the next thing you know, we get a completion to Fred for a first down. Then after that, we end up punting, and it's just a 37-yard punt from Logan Cook. Auburn has a chance to mount a drive here to tie the ball game with 4.36 to go, and you're thinking, plenty of time here, right? Well, they get a couple first downs, end up having a punt, and this time Smokey Graham gets the fair catch at the State 14. We can't do anything with it, though. Logan Cook, a 42-yard punt. <clears throat> down to the Auburn 36, and it basically runs out the quarter. They have a couple plays there. So we headed to the fourth, you know, with State still hanging on to that lead, but we needed a big play to happen. We needed something to happen for us, and we, we get the, the punt return, excuse me, the fair catch there at our 22. And then Dak and the Bulldogs put together a pretty good drive here. Pretty good drive, to say the least. And um, we go down, and we make a field goal, and probably should have – been able to score here because we um, we got down first and 10 at the Auburn 11 and then we could complete to Malcolm Johnson and it brought up a, a a third and one situation at the one and Dak is sacked on the play so we kicked the field goal that puts us up 31 20. Dak I'm sure would like to have that play back well then the big play happens 
the big play. We're up two scores. We've got a chance to put the kill shot on them. Logan Cook kicks off. Ricardo Lewis brings it out. And it's Quadri Antoine from Bell Chase High School. Had some injuries throughout his career. I expected a bigger career from him. It never really panned out. What does he do? He strips the football out, and Tolando Cleveland jumps on it at the Auburn 15. Now is the time for us to finish the deal. We absolutely do. Josh Robinson with the honors on a one-yard run. Sobiesk on the extra point. Good. Makes it 38-20 in the fourth quarter. And at this point, we're just enjoying our day. That's how quickly the whole thing changes. It's like we're up 28-20. We get a field goal, and then we strip, fumble, and next thing you know, this game is over. For all intents and purposes, this game is over. They go down and kick a field goal that really proved to be of no consequence. Um, We end up punting late. It gives them the ball back at their uh, their 30 with just under five minutes to play. They mount a decent drive. They're going down. You think they're fixing a score. And then Justin Cox, the pride of West Point, Mississippi, makes a diving interception at the Mississippi State 3. And then that's when life began to change for all of us. We're like, what, this, this is what this feels like? Because, I mean, at, at this point, I know a lot of our fans were thinking, oh, they're going to go in and score. They're going to get the onside kick. They're going to score again. They're going to get into their onside kick, and they're going to score again. That's, that's, how, that's just how we think. But now all of a sudden, it's like, this thing is over. We've picked it off, and sure enough, it is. And uh, so we down the ball. We run. That gets a couple of runs here, and then we, we kneel and we take the lead. Uh, down to 38-23 with no time left. I remember walking off the field. And there's Dr. Mark Keenum. And I remember the look on his face as you guys were absolutely going bananas in the stands at Davis Wade Stadium. And I remember the look on his face. It's something that I'll never forget. He simply couldn't believe what he was seeing. It was always that, you know, the hope. Then there's Scott Strickland and, and everybody's there. And it's just like, did this really happen to us? Did we? Are we are the number three team in the country, and we just beat number two. And I remember going to post game, and Dennis Dodd asked Dan Mullen, "Dan, do you have the number one team in the country?" And Dan says, "I don't know. I don't get to vote. Why don't you guys ask Dennis? He has one." And then we were one of the biggest wins in our in our program's history. And then, of course, you know the enemies of Mississippi State are like, "Well, you know, Auburn didn't do this. It doesn't matter. All that matters is where they were when we played them, and we won." And so hopefully we can have a similar outcome this weekend. We one certainly hope so. We don't have the same team. But I think we do have some quarterback that has some of those same attributes where he makes the people around him better. So we'll see. I'm hopeful we can go over there and win the ballgame. I just think there's so much working against us. You know, I can say, well, you know, we're going on the road, but we have been a very good road team. We're 2-2 two and two on the road. We should have won the two games we lost. Right? Should we not have beat Arkansas? Yes. Should we have not have beat Memphis? Yes. We should be 4-0 on the road right now. We're not, but we have not been intimidated by road environments. So I think the early game helps us in that respect too because it, we won't have all day to drink and party and, and be ruthless. I think the most important thing for us is to get off to a good start. We can't continue to get in these 10-0 holes and expect to come back and win ball games. You get off to a good start. If you can survive the first quarter, you got a good chance to win. I just hope that Zach Arnett and that group get off to a good start, too. If we can go out there and get a turnover early, if we can shut them out that first quarter, if we can have the leave after the first quarter, I feel a whole lot better about life. Again, i got a couple more things to do before I get out of here. Let me get these things handled. I'm going to be on the road to Auburn. Look forward to seeing you guys. If you had not done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You can pre-order copies of Dogpile. We hope to have it for you in time for Christmas. 
Yeah, I can't believe I'm having to say that when we when I put this thing out. I got done writing August 26. We thought there's no chance we don't have this thing for Christmas. But um, still hopeful. You know, we were hoping to get it late October. They pushed us back to late November. And so still got my fingers crossed, and we will update you as we go. While you're there, you can get copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. Those are all very, very important books if you're a Mississippi State fan. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it at Amazon.com. Uh, barnesandnoble.com, booksamillion.com, or through your local bookstore. If you need personalization of that book, you can order through Book Martin Cafe in downtown Starkville. I can ride down there and sign that for you. I'm happy to do it. Stark Villains gear, go to starkvillains.com. I've seen some recent orders on that. Some They've reached out to me, and I know there have been some uh, Stark Villains hoodies ordered. Appreciate you guys always repping the brand. Let's get out of here. Again, I got things to do, and I got to get on the road to Auburn. Looking forward to... Uh, to getting over there and covering a ball game. It's always so much fun. It never gets old. It never, ever, 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 ever gets old. Never. I don't ever take any of this for granted. Hope you don't either. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.